All right, we're good. Hey, guys, it's Put Them on the Glass podcast. I'm your host, Brad Adelot with the Glass Monkey. We have the champ, James Chapman, the ghost set killer. You, you. Shiloh Sue, extra special guest, Glass Weld out in Bend, Oregon. Shiloh, welcome on the show, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I really appreciate you both having me on. I'm sorry I had to bail on you the last time. Got hit with a little COVID or something, but uh, but I've been looking forward to it. Really have. Now, I'm, my first introduction to Shiloh was just basically when I um, I, I use glass weld equipment. And Shiloh, he's featured in almost all of the videos. And so I was just, he basically trained me from afar. So it's it's good to actually get to know him better than his online avatar. So after all you glass weld people out there, you know, get to know him. He's, he's a great guy. So Shiloh, a lot of people don't know that that Glassweld, it is a multi generational uh, company, right? Mm -hmm. So how long, um, how did you become to, to become involved in, in the auto glass industry, Shiloh? So, I mean, so the, the I guess the first part of the backstory is that Glassweld was founded in like the late seventies, early eighties. So my granddad um was a novus franchisee way back then and yeah. then my uncle yep um my uncle got into it and then my dad okay so you picture like 1976 1978 somewhere in there i don't have all the years totally straight um and so uh between utah and oregon and this whole kind of like area somewhere in the northwest they had different franchises set up um and then at some point, my uncle and my dad and my grandpa came up with an idea to make a plate glass repair kit that I guess at the time was kind of a need that they saw. So they came up with this little plate glass repair kit and they started selling that on the side. Um, and then from there, then um, the initial glass weld injector kind of was born, which of course wasn't called the glass weld injector at the time. Um, and I think they they may have tried to license it or something to know this is sort of the story that I've heard before I was born. So, you know, the details are foggy, but, um, so that's how kind of Glasswell was born. Glasswell was incorporated in, in 1982, which was the year I was born. And, um, so this building, this office I'm sitting in right now is the, is the office that as a kid I would come to and my uncle and my dad and, and they would meet and do their board meetings. And I'd be like playing with my cars and stuff. So this building's been here for 40 years. Um, but like any self-respecting teenager, I grew up wanting to do, having nothing to do with the family business, right? It was like anything but that. Uh, I was hell-bent on doing anything but it. Um, and so the short version is that in my, in my early 20s, I started doing, uh, of course, I had, you know, done repairs and all kinds of stuff as a kid because it was like part of life, right? I mean, I just kind of took it for granted. Um, but in my early 20s, I was involved in bands. I was a musician and playing in a couple of rock bands and stuff. And then I was like, okay, I, I'm going to start this little glass repair business on the side doing scratch removal and windshield repair and stuff to try to like pay my bills until I figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And um so of course I got glass weld equipment, you know, cause I had a hookup. <laughs> yeah. So I started, I was living in Raleigh, North Carolina at the time. So not too far from you guys. And three or four years, I ran this little business called brilliant glass repair out of Raleigh. 
and uh, did rock chip repairs and did scratch removal and established a good little business there. And then I, I, I got asked by my dad at the time, he was like, hey, you, can you help come help us at a trade show? And I went to a trade show and at the trade show, I kind of fell in love with like the process of talking to customers about the products that I used every day. And at that same trade show, a guy came up to me from, from the flat glass industry and offered me a job to manage a shower door facility up in the Boston area at the time. So I suddenly hit this like crossroads where it was like, do I go into the glass industry and take this good opportunity from someone other than my family, you know, or, or, or do I, you know, expand on my side hustle or do I, you know, maybe consider working for the family business after all, and actually doing the thing that I've been resisting all along. And so at that, that was the point where I was like, okay, okay, if I'm going to do that, then I should just, I should just get into the business. And so that's how I started in the early 2000s, like, you know, around there started working with Glasswold officially for the first time at that point. But now, you know, having coming from the background of having worked in the field as a tech yeah. for three or four years on my own. That's awesome. And I remember there's a there's a picture floating out there. And I know that and when you get a Glasswell kit, you you get to get in this little um, like community, the Glasswell community. We have our own little group. And someone had posted a photo of a very young, very young shallow spoon. And with this, you, you were... What was it? Did you have a G-Force polisher headlight restaurant? Uh -huh. You were doing yeah. a job, I think. You had your eye protection on. You were like this. <laughs> Ready to take on the world, man. I was like, who is that guy? <laughs> so we'll get into more about the young Shiloh a little bit later. Um, something I wanted to point out is something you have in common with James. Mm. That you and James are both teachers. You 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 communicate the information, and you don't care. You don't hoard it. You don't care. You know, Shiloh, you're out there. You would talk to anybody. You'll talk to Delta. You'll talk. You know, I see you talking to Corey. Anybody, it doesn't matter. As long mm -hmm. as the the correct information for the betterment of the industry gets disseminated out there, is is that your kind of take on it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I think to me, there's two passions that I have at this point in time, and um. And one is, you know, innovation and design and stuff like I've gotten super into that. And I love it. Um, and then the other is just is the teaching side of it. I mean, the, the coolest thing about the job that I have now is the ability is the opportunity to help educate lots of people um, through our YouTube channel and in person. Um, and that is by far the most rewarding thing that for me is like, you know, I'm sure, James, you probably feel the same way. People that go through the classes that you've taught. And then people come up to you that have like actually made a success of their business and they give you a little bit of feedback and they tell you like how that, what that meant to them. Um, to me, that's yeah. like, that's everything. Yeah. It makes you appreciate all the hard work you put in all those years because now you're taking this next generation or even the same generation of you and bringing them to the speed of, the forefront of innovation and also safety in our industry. So I, I do enjoy the feedback. Um, I have a, quite a few students who will call me and everything. And just, it's just not even my students. I try, enjoy helping my friends too. And there's an integrity to that. I think um, when I talk to Shiloh and when I talk to you, James, I can tell that, that, that what you're telling me, it's, it's kind of tried. 
has tried and true. It comes from experience and regurgitation. If I could sit through a class and, you know, recite a manual of all the information that I've read, but there's something else applied knowledge and applied like trade wisdom sounds different. And it, it really pulls people in when, and it helps them speed up their own walk in the industry. And that's why and it, I appreciate it. I appreciate it because I'm a student. I was I was a student of someone like James. Zuzu Madinat was my age. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Zuzu's, Zuzu's on point, dude. Like, I cannot. He's going to come to Nashville and help me on this next class. And I cannot wait to meet him in person. Uh, I think I may have met him at Autoglass Week this past year, but... Dude, I was in a zone that I, no one was coming into my area that I, if I didn't know you, I was being polite, just trying to make conversation, but I wasn't paying attention to nobody. <laughs> yeah. So that, that experience, go ahead, Sean. Oh, I was just going to say, you're right. I mean, for, and, and to, to, to piggyback on that whole thought, I mean, when I think back at, at all of the people that, you know, that helped teach me over the years, um, you know, those little bits of information from people. I think one of the one of the coolest things I've had the opportunity to do is is to be in different parts of the world and work with um, companies that have a technician that's like James or like you that have done it for 20 years. And, you know, and I'm in a different place. And then they start showing me what they do. Um, and I love that because I always learn stuff. And um, so there's there's lots of names I could throw out there that um have had a big impact you know and be and and for the same reasons because they were trainers they wanted to teach what they knew they wanted to share it okay so what you said earlier i I have to say it sorry bradley don't mean to jump in here but okay so you were a musician and i have family members and i kind of frequented the hardcore scene around here and you said you were a rock musician how has that played into your wanting to design now? Because you don't just quit being an artist. And you said you're liking the innovation and the new design and bringing things different. How does that being an artist play into what you do in every day? That's a really good question, James. I mean, I grew up. I grew up with music, and my family. My dad was a. My dad is a is a jazz saxophone player. Um, so I grew up with jazz a lot growing up. And then of course, you know, I grew up in the grunge era. So I was into all the alternative rock. I still play, I, I still write music, um, play my guitar every week. And of course I just do it for myself now, <laughs> my wife and kids yeah, yeah. I don't for anything else, but, but you're totally right. There's a creative side. There's a desire when, when you're a musician and, um, you have a desire to create and try new things. And um, and you get satisfaction from that. In fact, I would even go so far as to say that once you've ex been exposed to music or other creative arts, like you, in, and if you don't do something with that, you almost feel like something is some huge hole in your heart. Yeah. Um, so for me, music fills that to this day to some degree, and, and for, I'm fortunate enough to be in a job where I get to use the artistic and the idea side of things um on the tool side too which is just you know i'm very fortunate in that regard um i got something else so we're, we were talking about experience and applied knowledge only comes one way shallow and you know where i'm going to go with it you got you got to confess it's the confessional booth time what is a what is a experience 
either wildly amazing or just mm-hmm. horrific an experience of, of you being a technician like hands-on get gritty what is something that stands out in your mind the most i mean there's there's a couple things on the horrible side i remember in raleigh north carolina when i first started my business and i was really trying to land new dealership accounts and the first time the local bmw dealership called me i cracked the windshield the very first repair i did for them i cracked the windshield and um so that was a confidence blow like i mean when you start when you start and your you know your livelihood is is pent up in these jobs and you work for months to win an account and then you crack the windshield fortunately they kept they kept using me but i thought for sure that was it i was done um and then besides that, I mean, I had I had some crazy stories working on the flat glass side on this because I did a lot of scratch removal in that time as well. Um, so I had some cool opportunities on the not horrible side, but just sort of awesome. Like I had an experience where I got contracted to do a um, do a restoration on a Cartier jewelry store case in in uh, in Times Square, like in Manhattan somewhere. I don't remember the exact address. It's been so long ago. But so to do this job, I had to work in the middle of the night um, and there was a lot of them and the scratches were deep. So I just like have this memory of being there with like me and a couple security guards to make sure I didn't steal anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Taking scratches out of like these jewelry cases. Um, so that those are the two that came to mind. I've probably blacked out the other worst ones. <laughs> I would have passed, passed on that one for sure. That's the thing is like, I uh, I had installed just uh, a Mercedes windshield a few months ago, and I didn't catch the scratches until it was in. I didn't catch them on my cradle, so I installed it. And I was like, oh, man, you know, I'll come, I've got this scratch metal kit. It's fine. And I know how to use it. And I'm taking many out, You're The training is very thorough, but I just, I was in a hurry, and I didn't monitor the temperature. Mm-hmm. I just kind of went by how it kind of felt, you know? You know, mm-hmm. kind of how it felt. Near an edge, right? Near an edge. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> you know, I might not have been so much in the 170. I might have been, you know, in the 250s. Who knows? But it just, it cracked. So, so here I was. Guess, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was probably the downforce. It was the force. That's what it was. <laughs> well, um, so we're here for the goods. Glassweld is a leader in the repair industry. Several of the better known technicians, they, they, they use your, products you know we got alfredo calva he's won multiple uh times with glasswell products you know mauricio who who's that yeah i don't know he's just just i think (laughs) really new to the trade that's the thing it's like his first or second year in he wins gold (laughs) so um what is kind of behind what's the point of windshield repair what does it do break down the science go wild go off king okay okay uh-huh. So, I mean, you know, depending on how you think about it, windshield repair is either super simple or wildly complex. You know, at the end of the day, um, what we're really trying to do is to restore structural integrity. That's the primary objective. But of course, we're also trying to diminish the visibility of that broken area as much as possible, right? So, as far as from my perspective, um, I have always felt like 
Let me give you an example. If I'm using my glass fold injector and I'm doing a repair or a demo and, and my seals go bad, like I've done a couple hundred repairs, my seals start to get spongy on me and I'm just forcing the resin in because at this point my vacuum is shot. The the repair goes slow, right? It's it's yes. a it's a struggle. You're 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 now you're using your tips and your tricks and all those things. So um I think the one of the big things that I would like to highlight is just how crucial vacuum is to a repair and to a consistent quality repair. I think any really skilled technician could probably use almost any injector in the market and end up with a pretty good result. But the question is, how long does it take to get there? How much do you struggle through that process? How many tips and tricks do you have to pull out? Which means you're not doing something else. Um, but all, but also when it comes to like the scientific side of things, not all vacuum is the same. And and here's what I mean by that. Um, if I if I use some sort of external device and I create vacuum on a repair, what I, what I'm doing first off when when we create vacuum on a repair. The vacuum is created inside the chamber of the device, whatever device you're using that might create vacuum, but it's also held within the crack itself, right? So the crack itself becomes part of the vacuum. In essence, like we're create, we're, we're, it's the absence of air and it's essentially this void that essentially has like almost like a suction to it, right? Um, so the way that we inject resin then at that point is crucial um, as far as consistency and quality. And so um, where, where some some of like the, what I would describe as more old school technology uses, uses a focus on, we just got to get the resin in, which can work. It can work. Um, vacuum to me makes a huge difference in the simplicity of repair. Um, and when you can, when you can inject while still in a vacuum state, then that's the holy grail. Because now you're injecting into a state where the resin is the 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 resin is is going into a state where the crack itself is still in a vacuum. There's no opportunity for air to get back in. So, you know, some of like the history of windshield repair, if we dig into that, is like you know we start with the screw thread style injector, which has been around since the 1970s, and then we get these external vacuum components that came into the market, and then allowed for some improvement in consistency and repair because you're able to remove some air and some moisture from the brake. Um, but in, in my view, having used that stuff, there's a difference when you can hold the vacuum right up until the point that the resin starts to flow because now there's no impediment. Now there's nothing blocking it because if you, you know, if you pull a vacuum and then you allow the vacuum to just release and then you start injecting, well, well you know, air fills in in milliseconds back into a, a repair and then now you have impediments again. So one of the parts that I really like on repair is the crucial role that a vacuum can play in consistently allowing for quality repairs. Because at the end of the day, what we need to accomplish with the repair is we got to get a high quality resin into every little fissure of and every little microsurface of that crack. And if we get it all the way to the ends and all the way in the tiny little spaces, then we've restored the structural integrity, assuming that we're using good products, right? Mm -hmm. um, and in my view, vacuum is probably the most crucial piece of that um because of because of the elements i just mentioned definitely so the point is to get you can do it by either displacement of the air through vacuum or by making the resin trade places with the air molecules and since the resin is going to be heavier than the air 
usually once resin runs into the parts of the chip, it's harder for the air or almost impossible for the air to occupy that space as long as there's resin there, which brings right. us to another effect called wetting, correct? Mm -hmm. That helps to progress through the, the chip repair. So that's cool. Yeah. Now, the wedding there's property. a whole... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say wedding properties are like a... There's specific... Um, elements of resin formulation that allow for a pro basically what wetting means is that that when a when a when a material hits a surface that it's going to want to naturally move down it and that's what we want to create we want to create you know that that will make your repairs faster and easier when the when your resin will move down the crack automatically um it, it puts less pressure on the technician to ensure all of those things happen that specific part right there, because I have people call me a lot, like and since I've been around with the, the Glassweb forums and I'm part of the Autoglass Tech Talk and, you know, I've competed and people are kind of realizing they're, they're kind of, they will call me and they'll say, hey, can you give me a couple pointers on this one? And one of, the, one of the primary goals that I try to get their mind around is that you've got air and you've got resin and they're walk trying and you're trying to force each one to walk down a very narrow hallway. Mm -hmm. And they keep bumping into each other. Mm -hmm. So you've got to figure out through either flexing at the base of the tool and doing your tips and tricks or just letting a little time happen or a very strong vacuum. It can, you can By doing different methods, you can let them pass each other in the hallway without bumping in. Right. And, and that and that's you're, you're right, um, Brad, because when you know when you get when you can get the bulk of the air out before that process even happens. Yep. You get a much, a much better head start on that. And if, if you've done a, a repair with a glassful injector, you'll probably, are, I know you've seen this, Brad, is like the second, the second vacuum, when you go from your second vacuum into your injection, it's night and day. It's unbelievable. Like, it really is. And so much, much of it just happens where you don't have to even, you know, do anything, um, but it takes that second vacuum. And that's because the initial vacuum gets most of the air out of the way um, and then, you know, by the time you get the, the resin in on the first vacuum, then the second vacuum is even stronger because now there's less space. So we're creating a strong, I mean, we're, we're going super nerdy here, but, um, yeah, yeah. There's space. so, you know, now we can get a stronger vacuum and then that second injection is just like, you know, goes at a, at a more, more rapid pace. Okay. It looks like we have Damon joining us in here in Shallow. This is another uh, member of the Put Them On The Glass podcast team here is Damon Badnell. He's like a. ADOS specialist. So yeah, it's like it's I got it's connecting to the audio, it says on my end, but I got a nice big purple P. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that that could be bad depending on the conversation you're having. You know, I, know, like, man. I, I, thought, I just said it. There he is. There he, there is. he is. There he is. That's Damon yeah. right there. He's right there. Oh, <laughs> uh, still no, still no people, but yeah. Yeah. So not to get too nerdy. I know that it's we can nerd out forever on this show. Nerd out, nerd out. But, I love it. I'm, I'm it. learning. I'm learning because my I know, repairs. I'm here for because like my repairs I'll, in general suck. Like I'm not even going to pretend. Sorry, Brad. <laughs> but my repairs most usually look like shit. Okay, and I haven't invested the time into really learning the tricks and tips and intricacies. So I'm learning like crazy right now. So nerd the fuck out. It's more common than you think, and I think not enough of it is talked about. Is Shallow, it's very real. Chip anatomy is very real. There needs to be an A&P class on the different types of chips, not just star combo bullseye. 
Sure. There's every single type in between and they all repair differently. And and I think one of the challenges, I mean, one of the greatest challenges for educators, for people like James and I and yourself, Brad, that are like we're teaching other people about how to do repairs is you're, you're always trying to find this balance of like how much information is too much information and how much is too much too soon. Right. So, um, you know, there, but you're right. There's, there's so much, and we'll get into later, like some of the training stuff, but okay, yeah, that's right. uh, that's right. because I think, I think there are, there are things to James's point. I think that's one of the things, I mean, I, James, you're not alone in this, that let's be honest, the bulk of the auto glass industry, you guys make most of your money on replacement. That's and right. That's okay. And so I think, I think for a lot of people, they, they, they do repairs largely because they need to, um, not necessarily because they want to, and, and that, and that's okay too. Um, but, and so, so this kind of goes back to like my general philosophy on things is that, you know, I, I, when we, when we design stuff, I, we try to look at it with like, from a pragmatic standpoint, you know, that that's the reality. Like not everybody's going to be super passionate about windshield repair. Um, some people are, and some people aren't, but what can we do from a design standpoint? What can we do from an engineering standpoint to make it so that, you know, even if you're not as invested as um, Bradley is in, in his repairs, you can get really good quality repairs and you don't have to spend, you know, and you can still focus on your core business, right? Like you don't need to take the focus off of being the best replacement tech, um, and that's where, in from from our view, anyways, from my view, that's where the technology and the engineering and stuff comes in, um, because you know that way you don't have to spend five years training yourself with all the tips and tricks and techniques, um, with with great tools and great supplies. In my view, like a lot of that can sort of happen. So, how have you seen in the time that you've been playing with your Hot Wheels cars in the boardroom till now? How have you seen the glass well tooling change over those years? It's got to be cool. Yeah, I mean, the only glass well I know is the Zoom injector. So, well, first, first off, it's one of the coolest things in in my job here is that people call in all the time that have like a throwback standard, which was like from 1984. <laughs> using them, we had a guy just chat in the other day who got he inherited it from his dad, and he was looking for replacement parts from it. Um, and so some of those tools are still going, but we're on, you know, we're on the fifth, sixth generation pro back at this point. Um, so there's been a lot that's changed, you know, from a resin technology, from an injector technology standpoint. Um, but the, the biggest changes in the last 10 years have been focused on ease of use and repeatability. Um, and they've been focused on, um, well, like, you know, the zoom injector, right? We we moved away from the first time in, in the industry from like a threaded mechanism onto the glass. And there was a reason for that. The, the reason was when we started the research and development project, we talked to like a couple hundred technicians and we're like, what is the biggest problem you have? And they're like, well, cracking windshields, right? Like on a hot day, I thread the thing a little too tight and I crack a windshield. So, so we addressed it from the inverse. We're like, how can we how can we, through technology and engineering, potentially reduce that as a problem? And so we came up with this sort of reverse ratchet system that we called Z-mount technology that allowed us to like mount an injector on the glass super quickly and control the pressure against the glass every time 
without all the guesswork that comes from like, you know, you're, you're taking three phone calls and you're turning a, a thing out over the windshield and you turn it one turn too far and you're like, oh crap. Right. I mean, you know, like I just told the story about the BMW dealership that happened to me. So it happens to every technician. So um, that's just one example. You know, other examples would include, um, I mean, we went from using fluorescent UV bulbs that took five to seven minutes to cure windshield repair resin to now like high powered UV LEDs that are 30 to 40 seconds in the last 10 years. Um, you know, we used to make, we used to custom manufacture these round fluorescent bulbs that went into the original Procure light. Um, and, and that was a game changer at that time because it was, you know, we had the ability to basically drop this thing over the injector and cure the entire repair while it was still under, you know, a slight amount of resin pressure so that the resin couldn't pull away. And that was kind of one of the things that changed was about 15, 20 years ago, we learned that, you know, when polymers dry or cure that they do shrink a little bit. Mm -hmm. And just obviously because of those wetting properties you talked about earlier, Brad, is like if you pull an injector off the glass and you pull and what happens like resin weeps out and you lose that pressure that's against the resin that's holding the resin at the ends of the legs. Mm -hmm. And so in that, in those moments, you're reducing the quality of the repair that you worked so hard to fill. And so we developed the Procure Light, which was this, you know, big old metal thing with a big old fluorescent bulb that we had to have custom made. It was cost a fortune to make this thing. And, um, but it solved the problem. It allowed us to cure repair before you even remove the injector and improve the repair quality. And then, so then from there we've progressed it. And now, you know, some of the newest technology that's on the market right now is like smart technology where it's sensing temperature and it knows, you know, your light knows exactly when it's really cold out or it's really hot out. Just like with your urethanes, you know, you're, you're, you're adjusting like, oh, I got to store my urethane here or there because it's too hot or too cold. Well, the, the resin, resin formulations are not that dissimilar. And so, you know, when you have a curing light that has the, the technology in it, that it knows when you're outside those parameters and then it just automatically adds more curing time. So it's, it's all of these things that we're trying to do to just make, I think the ultimate objective of our research and development is how can we make like your jobs easier so that when you're answering a phone call and you're scheduling three jobs and you're talking to a tech and you're doing a repair and you're like, you're doing the things that small business owners do that you, you have one less thing to think about. And what I'll, that's what I like about my, my kit personally is that I can walk away if I need to, even if it's under pressure, I don't have to babysit it. I don't have to actively do these steps. It's amazing at how much the injector does. It, it's a tool. It does, it works for you. And very rarely someone with a more mechanical um, type of tools, you can't really do that. You've got to kind of monitor them. You've got to work through the tool. Mm -hmm. What I've known about mine, especially through competitions, is we can set it in stages, you know, with the repair, and then we can go and talk to our proctors and things like that. But if you're not in a competition, that proctor becomes your customer. You can talk about them. You can talk about their life. You can create an experience that is outside of just the windshield repair. That's what I do. And that's what, that's what my clients seem to love about me is that I will talk to them about anything. I'll, we'll make jokes. We'll cut up. We'll whatever, because that lets me, it frees up my hands. They're, 
these hands, they don't always have to be on the glass, you know? Exactly. And so kudos to you. You've succeeded in my opinion. Oh, thanks, man. Well, the, 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 the mission doesn't stop. I mean, I'm kind of borderline obsessed with it. <laughs> so, yeah. well, um, that's what we want. That's what we want. And, and a vendor, you know, um, yeah. I, I was going to say, but I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, people, whoever's listening to this podcast, like you're out there, you're out there to make money. You're out there to feed your families. You're out there to, you know, do as many replacements as you can in a day and keep your customers happy. And so, you know, our, our, our role in all this is just to make that just a little bit easier for you. Hell yeah. Okay. So I was speaking on the phone, I don't know, it was like a week ago to Susan Allen. Uh, Cody Allen's wife and you guys did the big push for the women in rock chip repair and we're hopefully going to have a few women coming out and competing in the installation this year for the tech Olympics so I know Jamie's coming out and uh, Danielle may come out too yes and then uh, Danielle Rawlinson she's going to come out as well um, to compete in the tech Olympics Um, what made you decide to get behind that whole women in rocked chip repairs or women in the industry and you guys did a big push about it and i really liked it i mean susan won and it was great and i think it's amazing because i got two independent women daughters as well that are putting it down so i think it's pretty cool but what made you guys just decide to jump on and do that well i gotta give credit where credit is due so um <laughs> there you go the women rock repair yeah that was such a cool program i mean one of the highlights of my life to be honest with you um, I was, I was at Auto Glass week and we were at the gala dinner and I was, I was standing there talking to two people. One was Susan Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, Odie and I had been friends for a long time. And so, you know, I met Susan, we were, we were talking about, um, uh, about that or, or Suzanne, I should say. And then, uh, I was also right there with another friend of mine, a gal by the name of Alicia Maples. She's down in Southern Texas and her, her and her husband run a, run a, uh, windshield repair business down there too. And they both brought it up. They were like, hey, like, why are there no women in this competition? And I'm like, you know, there had there have been some in the past. And, you know, um, but they're like, you know, somebody just really needs to highlight that. Um, and so that's where the idea started from. And then we had a Zoom call or something a couple of couple of months later about it. And we're just like, hey, what could we do with this? Um, and and what it came down to was, you know, our industry needs technicians. We, we need good technicians. And it just so happens most of the women in my life are way more detail oriented than I am. That's right. Word. Let, let, let's preach on that a little bit, because yeah. that's kind of like what I was getting at when I did a couple different uh, podcasts, like with Danielle and stuff about it. And Jason, I know as guys, we are oriented to be hands on problem solvers. We're going to fix everything. But in doing so, we tend to overlook the small stuff that, creates a satisfaction with another human being because we're doing things. So the detailed orientation of women can really teach a lot of guys in this industry how to handle their shit. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. Not, not too long ago. I'm Brad, Brad's met my wife and she helped me out at auto glass week this, this year for the first time. And so recently we had an in-person training class and she wanted to learn and she asked me more questions that I stuff I would just glaze over, you know, and um, and so it did. It made me realize, and and that there are there are nuances that um, 
that we tend to overlook sometimes. So, you know, our industry has a shortage of technicians. We, um, uh, you know, we don't always do the best repairs in our industry. And we have a lot of women already in our industry who could grow their careers. And, and I, so it was so cool because that whole program, basically all we did was that we, we created sort of a brand thing around it called the Women Rack Repair thing. We made stickers and we made patches. And then um, we, with, with this group with Alicia and Suzanne and I, we organized like, okay, let's find five or six women. And our goal was just one thing. Okay, let's find five or six women that have never done repairs before. Let's train them. And then six months from now, let's, let's let them compete. Let's, and then let's see what happens. Yeah, dude, I'm down. So Suzanne um, and Alicia and Susan Calva, and there was a couple other women too, and I apologize to them if I'm blanking on all the names. Um, they all, we all got together in Texas, in Austin, Texas, and we had like a one-day training session. And we worked on it and we did practice repairs together. And then we had t-shirts and everything. And so that first year, that was like in April or May, Auto Glass Week that following year, which I think was West Palm, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember exactly. No, it might have been San Antonio. And um, and so they they all drove up. And in that first year where I think we had five or six women compete, um, two made the finals. Um two of the four were, were women that made the finals and Suzanne dropped the mic and like won the whole thing or first. <laughs> Perfect score. Perfect Six score. Yeah. And then came back the next year and got, got silver, you know? Yeah. yeah. But she's married to Cody Allen. Dude. So it's <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, that's kind of like an unfair advantage, right? That, I mean, Cody is, Cody's the man and he really is like when it comes to being a, a past person who, Cody's the reason why I competed and Cody's the the guy that saved my autoglass career because I was ready to exit. Wow. I could have won gold my first year if I was married to Cody Allen. <laughs> I mean, we all could have, right? <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, we love you, Cody. You've had a really great influence on on the industry. But I, I just think it's so cool just that, you know, I think it proved a point, right? It proved a point that, like, you can't deny and hopefully, I think hopefully it opens some eyes of just businesses and decision makers in our industry that like, hey, you're hiring technicians, you know, make sure you're looking there. Yeah, I love it. I think I think we do need to see some more female involvement in the industry because they 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 are really good at what they do. Um, Damon, welcome with us. We saw you pop in. Like, you know, <laughs> sorry, you got sorry. Uh, Sorry, I'm late. Chip Nern, have anything for Shiloh here? Uh, no, man, I'm just enjoying okay. listening. I just I wanted to chime in on the whole, you know, girl in the in the automotive industry. One of the uh, kind of it's the girl, but not the chip repair. But uh, um, one of the body shops I would do work in, he was telling me about these two sisters that used to do all the masking for the pre-paint stuff, and he he said these girls were unbelievable. <laughs> They could do like four to eight cars a day just individually, and they were just very meticulous. So it's, you know, like you talk about that meticulousness and that, you know, attention to detail. So I, I can I can attest to that and, and see that. Yeah, yeah, they're good at what they do. Um, I had a couple other questions, but I think we've already covered these. But uh, so I'm going to move to this one. There's about 257 million drivers estimated in America in the year 2025. 
So what is Glasswell doing to help romanticize those technicians that are going to keep their clients happy? Have you got anything coming up, any excitement or anything like that? We always have stuff coming up. We always have stuff coming up. But what I can talk about are the things that we already do um, to empower, <laughs> you know, to kind of empower the the technicians out there to take advantage, full advantage of that. And I mean, I like to try to like simplify things because I think when, it, okay, so in my, in my view, one of, there's a couple of areas, right, where we can help. One is obviously tools and training and things like that. And the other is sort of educating technicians on how to talk to your clients, like what things to say, what do they care about? And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a blind spot for all of us when we, when you're good at something and you do something a lot, you get into technical jargon and you get into all the science and stuff. And then now you're talking way over the head of the people that you deal with every day. And so I, I think to this point, when, when, when I saw this question, the first thing I thought of is just like a number one, I mean, there's re resources we have in addition to our certification course, we have a business course, which helps a lot with that. We have pro club, which helps to kind of like share ideas. We have our YouTube channel um, where we do a lot of things um, that are focused on customer facing. And then um, we create marketing assets as well. So you'll find that like, for instance, with our, we have some marketing assets for resin, for the Onyx resin, for the strength testing that we did at an independent lab. And so we've positioned those marketing pieces not to sell to you as a technician, but for you to sell to your customers, for you to post on social media, for you to leave, do a leave behind with them. Um, because ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what, what we need to do. And so I just thought I would talk about this for a second because, you know, when I talk to people and I do this in Ubers all the time, whenever I'm in an Uber, you know, we always talk about the rock chip or whatever, right? And it's, it's great practice to see like, well, what do people care about? And what, what those 257 million drivers you referred to Bradley care about are two things. One that, you know, without really knowing it, they care about safety. Right. And that's James, you mentioned that earlier. Like once we highlight, you know, that your windshield is a safety component and that it can, the way it's installed or repaired can affect your safety. They care, right? Because they care about their kids and they care about their parents and they care about themselves. So that's one. Um, so whenever you can take anything about what you do for replacement or repair, and you can link it to something that, that people emotionally care about that matters to them. In this case, safety is a big one. And so yeah. we, we created a whole bunch of marketing assets around safety and the independent resin testing that we did to help, you know, basically put you in a position, Bradley, that like, if you want to leave a leave behind or you want to do a social media graphic or whatever that says like, here's why you should use glass monkey because, you know, I use these products or I use, uh, you know, the repairs I do are this percentage potentially safe to, sa safer and that matters. And did you know, you know, did you know that, how you replace a windshield or how you repair a windshield matters to your safety. Um, so that's the, the part that we can play from that standpoint. Safety is a big one. And then the second piece is that people care how things look. Like we all care how things look. Um, so aesthetics matter. So that's where we put a ton of research into things like wedding properties. And then with the new Onyx resin, 
hiding properties, creating sort of like a polarization effect in, in cracks. So they're not nearly as visible so that when you're done with a repair, it's like, you know, it's as, as invisible as possible mm -hmm. uh, with current technology. So if we can hit those two things, safety and aesthetics, like how things look, then we can have happy customers with those customers that we deal with. So I would just encourage anybody out there, whether they're using our products or not, if you are using our products, contact us because we can hook you up with those assets if you don't follow our social media channels and stuff. And even if you're not, those are the things to talk about. In my yeah. And which brings us to the next point with certifications. Um, you guys are involved with, uh, I believe you guys are involved with the ROLAGs to development, right? And before that, just the ROLAGs standard. Well, you want to talk a little bit about like what you do and the work that you guys do with that? Yeah. So, I mean, certification and ROLAGs are, are separate, but connected, I would say. Right. Um, first off with, with ROLAGs, I think it's really important that we have a general standard and guideline in our industry. It is a reference also outside of the U.S. too, having traveled a lot through my work. I know that people even in Africa and South America reference our standard. So I think it's important that we have a standard in the U.S. market. Not every market has a standard. The European market does. Australia does. But outside of that, you know, Rolex has an impact outside of even just the U.S. market. Um, and the, the current Rolex revisions are largely focused on just modernizing the standard to adapt to um, to ADAS big, is the biggest thing, you know, and understanding how those things correlate um, and making sure that there's good guidelines in place for techs that are now doing repairs in areas where, you know, there's potentially higher liability. So um, that's that's the, the the biggest focus of the Rolex committee at this point is just making sure those things are up to date. Because at the end of the day, it's a non-mandatory standard, right? So it's nobody's required to it, but it is a good general guideline for our industry that sets a bar. It's a voluntary standard, which brings me to my next question. Damon, you're going to have to be involved with this one because you're our ADOS guy. Mm -hmm. is, is somebody going <laughs> to ask Tyler or are you going to make me ask him? You know what we're all thinking. You know what we want to ask him with in terms of repair and ADOS. Who's going to ask him? You going to make me ask him, guys? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you may not even want to answer this one. This is a hairball, dude. It's a hairball. It doesn't seem like anybody really wants to put it out there. But say there's, there's. Let's just call it. I'm, I'm gonna throw a softball to you. Let's say there's just a perfect bullseye break, and it's right in the camera aperture. Right where the little trapezoid cut out in the glass. Okay. And we all know what we can make bullseyes look like, Shiloh. Okay. We all know what that bullseye is going to look. It's going to be perfect. Would you do a repair in that area? And if and why would you or would you not do a repair in that, that area? It's it's a great question, and I'm not going to dodge it. Um, because I think I, I think it's I actually think it's an important question. I think you know we're this people those listening to this podcast are largely small business owners, right? That's right. And, um, at the end of the day, uh, liability can crush your business. And um, so, in my view, it's like you know, is the juice worth the squeeze? This says the old saying. <laughs> I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that. It, you know, when you're talking about there are there are 
you know, hundreds, if not thousands of customers out there that you can repair windshields on that don't have a repair right in the camera view. Um, now, if I was doing, would I do a repair on my own vehicle? Probably because, you know, having experience with those ADAS cameras and knowing how they work and don't work sometimes, I'm pretty confident I could do a repair that wouldn't impact it. But it's a different thing because, you know, you're talking about, you're talking about the, you're talking about exposure to, for your own business and your own liability. And all it takes is one person to make a claim and it may be completely false, but if, you know, if you did something, did a repair in the view of the camera. So our stance as a manufacturer is just, you know, we prefer you don't do it. Uh, and it's I'm per go ahead, James. Okay. Now you said, okay, Jesus, why, <laughs> why am I this fucking guy, man? All right. <laughs> so you said on your own personal vehicle, you would probably do it because of your understanding of the ADAS camera and everything. Okay. So what you're saying is that the light does not travel through that bullseye differently that would affect the camera. If it's your vehicle, I understand you're saying uh, uh, you wouldn't do it if it, for a customer, but it's for your vehicle. You Are you under the... God damn it. I don't want to say this, but no, no, you're, you're fine, man. Okay. I, no, I think are I you under, are you under the, what you're wanting to say is your own vehicle. You would trust that that resin does not distort the light that's coming into that camera enough to affect it from seeing a forward collision or a line on the road or trying uh, traffic sign recognition. Yeah. I, so all I, all I can speak to is like on my own vehicle, Yes, yes, sir. Your own vehicle. I have I have Subaru right with eyesight, and um, there are times that that area gets super dirty, and um, has smudges on it that would be far worse than than any finished repair I would ever do. Okay. Um, and it it either shuts off or it tends to function on its own. So my statement about being willing to do it is just due to my own confidence level and my own skills mm -hmm. and my own willingness to take that on. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I would never encourage our customers to do that mm -hmm. um, or companies that are employing multiple technicians. Cause at the end of the day, let's be honest about this too. It's not always like it's, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the technicians doing repairs out there are new technicians. So you're going to have mm -hmm. them go out here. And you, you just said earlier, James, about how you're unhappy with the quality of your repairs. Oh yeah. I would never do one in the line of sight because them are going away. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so right. that that Subaru triangulation of those two, it's going to be like, whoa, what the hell's going on? Yeah, because uh, my repairs aren't that great. And I've known people to 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 turn away repairs that just get in the proximity of that camera. Like if they have an active like a seam that's pointing towards where that camera would be, just in case that that repair were to fail and it crack out while the car's driving, driving, then they would, they've turned down repairs based on that too. So I'm not saying that's right or wrong. You know, yeah, I mean, I, it, I'm with you Shiloh. Like why assume the liability, you know? Can, yeah. can I, can I, can I ask, have you ever uh, taken it upon yourself or has anybody said, Hey, we got to put a windshield in this. Let's pop a couple chips in the camera area and let's do a repair. And Hey, let's, do a calibration after we do the repair and let's just see what happens. Mm. I mean, that if you haven't, that may be something I, I, I'd be interested in doing or trying taking sure. part in like that. That would obviously be the telltale, right? Like, let's just see, we're not proving, are we proving anything? Who knows? But, you know, for, for knowledge sake, Hey, we've done this and this is the results we got. 
Yeah, and it's it's a great question, and I and I have actually done this, nice. um, and I did not get I did not get any issues at least in in the in the short term, but but what we're talking about here is like how many different types of repairs are there? How old are they? Um, who? What's the skill level of the technician doing it? What kind of equipment? What kind of resin using? There's so many variables. And even a good technician can do a poor repair. Even with good equipment, you can have a bad result on occasion. So to me, it's just like, there's way too many variables for me to ever consider that that is a good idea. And, you know, in my view, I just, I think there's a way, there's a big enough market for all of us out there that we don't need to be putting, we don't need to be stepping into something. You know, I'm sure that if I did a rock chip repair in the camera view and I deliberately did a poor job on it, I'm sure I could get some sort of interference and interaction. Um, and that's the problem because some people will do that. Some people will not do a great repair. And and when that happens, you know, who's hold, who's left holding the bag? And I just don't think it's, I don't think it's smart for our industry. Yeah, the, the last person who touched it is the one whose liability it is. Yep. Now, Damon, That's always how it is. That's being always a, yeah, being a, an ADAS expert, have you, me? yeah, me? yeah, yeah, oh. yeah, 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 you. Okay. So <laughs> my experience is when the crack goes across the camera line, like say what Shiloh was talking about, it ran out and it ran into the line of the, the camera, that camera will pick that up within 15 miles or so, and then shut that system down. Is that right or wrong? You know, I don't know. I, I, I'm like a virgin to crack repairs. I don't know. I've never no, been. No, like, we're not talking about repairing it. Yeah, we're just talking yeah, about no, a crack. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I've never had that instance before. I don't know. You know, to say enough to say, yeah, that it would, but, you know, you see cracks, especially on the glass nowadays, where you'll get there and there you can stick your thumbnail in between in between the cracks because the glass is shifting, it's cracked glass. Like you know for sure, then you're gonna get dirt and you're gonna get whatever in there from the outside element. So that maybe, you know, I could say, Oh yeah, definitely for sure. But I don't know. Again, has anybody tested that? I don't I don't know. Okay. Now what he said popped something else in my head. Shiloh is the quality of glass affecting your repairs now because we all know that the quality of glass that we get isn't the greatest i would say it's affecting the types of repairs um i wouldn't say that it's so much affecting the end result okay but i would say that the way glass is breaking is changing to some degree i agree yeah. yeah, it's getting worse. The bricks are getting worse. Um, a lot of this, we, we can speak to what we have, the, the acoustic inner layers. That's softer. doesn't give as much rigidity support to the outer layer. We've got the asymmetrically strengthened glasses, right? That's keeping the outer layer under an unbelievable amount of tension. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it does happen. you got to pay attention when you're doing these repairs, boys. Yeah, and 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 to to your guys' point too. I mean, I obviously living in a place where it snows a lot. I know that my system will shut off if I get you know several snow. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, clearly there's that possibility. But it's like you know, to your point, James, it's like where does that line happen, right? We don't always know. And here, it's every system is somewhat different. So it kind of goes back to just like you know, of, of, there's plenty of business out there to not step on step on a potential landmine, in my view. 
So for, 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 for me, it, sorry, sorry, Brad. For me, it's it all. It's always liability. Just like it's like, you know, doing a windshield in a rusty car. It's like doing a calibration on a lifted truck that's beyond the scope of what it should be. It's like doing not doing a calibration. Oh, well, I didn't unplug the camera. I just hung it there. It's like doing a calibration over a crack. It's like doing a a repair over 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 the camera. I just I wouldn't do it. Like there's too too way too many. Like my life and my family. And my livelihood is way more important. If there's someone out there that'll do it, call them. But I just, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to take on the responsibility. It's not worth it. Yeah. It's just like using expired like primer or something like, will it work? Maybe. Will it not work? Maybe. Just don't do it. Yeah. Why take the chance? Let's shift gears. All right. So what i've always worked with is the resin it, it's basically it's no secret it's an acrylic acid resin okay resin is acrylic acid okay. have we reached the zenith of resin development have we reached is is it just is the answer just acrylic acid and it can never be anything else yeah. resin nirvana yeah yeah that's <laughs> right that's right have we reached nirvana Shano? the pinnacle the pinnacle definitely not Definitely not. And I will say this too, just to kind of like balance a little bit too there. The, the chemistry in resin is really complex um, to get the right properties. Because think about everything we're asking of a resin, right? We're asking a resin to flow. We're asking it to hide. We're asking it to not turn yellow. We're asking it to not shrink. We're asking it to not crack. We're asking it to not turn white. And we're asking it to resist expansion and contraction while also maintaining, restoring the structural integrity of that windshield. So simplifying it down to that it's all acrylic acid is, is like saying that all exterior home paints are the exact same. You know, it's it just yeah. not at all like it doesn't even come close to touching what goes into the technology. But I like the question because the question is, you know, the resin technology had somewhat plateaued, I think, for a period of time yeah. um, until last year when we, you know, we brought out some new patented technology and we're, we're working on all kinds of other things. So there there are there's a lot more to come there's a lot more that can be done and there has to be because the things that we're we're heading towards you know we're headed towards augmented reality windshields we're headed towards um you know touchscreen windshields we're headed toward like all this stuff that's coming and the one of the things that's really important to me is that like in our industry that we as the experts or the you know the technicians that are leading the way that we start educating people in industry about like the industry that we're in and where it's going. People are not going to look at their windshield in 10 years and see like a piece of glass that they don't think about. They're going to see a piece of technology that they interact with. And so what that means is that whether we're replacing or repairing a windshield, our role in all of this is going to grow. And the, the perceived value of the product that we're working on is also going to grow. And so um, the, the amount of research and development that has to be invested in, in and be ready for that has to ramp up. Um, and we're in that process. And I think that's one of the big challenges of our industry, which has some old school elements to it is like, 
Can we step up to that? Can we step up to a, an industry that is like moving into the age of technology where we're essentially replacing and repairing like a full safety component that also happens to be a piece of technology? Definitely. And this new product that you released last year, this Onyx resin, I'm, it's been proven that I'm the number one fan. And I think when you released it since day one, I was the guy hawking it for you guys. You didn't have to lift a finger, Shallow, because yeah. I was there. Yeah. I was there. And so I love, and it does behave very differently. So I think Glasswell's drawn first blood on this, which kudos again to you guys. It's definitely yeah, next yeah. We're definitely trying to to push the envelope on that. Um, because you know, safety is important, but also like we talked about earlier, what you know, what people care about at the end of the day, even sometimes more than safety is when they get in their car and they're like, oh, I can still see it, you know? <laughs> so, so how can we make that as, you know, better and as good as possible? And that's where Onyx came in, where we're using some, some really new technology and submicron particles and kind of taking some, borrowing some ideas from polarized sunglasses and bringing that into like how we repair crack. Um, and so, you know, again, that's our, that's our little role in things is trying to make things better. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons why we've, we've invested so much in research and development and continue to, and then one of the reasons why we've also invested in the certification program as well. That certification now, it, it does, you get uh, the opportunity to be uh, become a certified um, glasswell professional with you by your kit. And there's also, uh, talk a little bit about what your certification means. What, it, what does it mean to be a Glasswell certified tech? Okay, so this this is a really important topic to me because I, you know, James was talking about this earlier about training, um, and you know, educating people. I I think education is huge in our industry, and one of the big challenges we have in our industry is how do we educate in a scalable, sustainable way? Because let's be honest, the industry is too big, and there's too many people spread across too many different parts of the world that are learning this every day. We can't always be physically in front of them. We want to be, but we can't always be. So one of the things that we looked at, and of course with, with repair, it's a little bit easier than with, with, with replacement. Um, about five or six years ago, we developed the first um, online-based certification program where people could go online and they could take this two to four hour course, depending on how quick you are. And you could watch all these videos. And basically you could take somebody who doesn't even know what a windshield is, and four hours later, they know what a windshield is. They know what the basics of repair are. And they know what to do, what not to do. And we've walked them through all these scenarios. And if they have their kit, they can practice along with it. And that at the end, they have to pass, you know, with like a 75% passing grade to be able to get certified. Um, so for us, certification is a little bit more than just like watching a video. It's more than just attending a seminar and watching a guy do a repair. It's doing, you know, it's proving your knowledge. Now, the part that we can't, of course, solve with technology is actually proving that the technician can apply that knowledge. But let's do what we can with the technology and the resources that we have. One of the big things that I have experienced over the years um, and is probably you know, unique to the role that I've had at Glasswell is I've done a lot of traveling and worked with a lot of, a lot of different technicians in a lot of different parts of the world. And the thing I see over and over again, and I saw this in my own family is that our industry has, we have a tendency like a lot of industries where we pass on knowledge from one generation to the next and that knowledge gets passed on over 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. So there are a lot of people in our industry today 
who have learned to repair or replace a windshield from someone who originally learned in the early 1980s or in the mid 1980s. And then that was passed on and then it was passed on again. And so then, you know, you have head trainers that are teaching all of their guys based on the things that they learned, but they were learned by someone who learned them in 1986, as an example. Now, all of that knowledge and information is valuable and useful, but, but we just talked about the age of technology and where it's all headed. Like that's not sustainable. Like that's not scalable. So what is? And so we went to the drawing board on that and we came up with this program and so with the new program that we just launched this last year in September, it is, um, it's got automatic annual updates. So what that means is once you sign up to become a Glasswell certified tech, you take your initial course, which whether you're an existing tech or whether you've never done a windshield before in that two to four hours is going to teach you what you need to know. It's going to then make sure that you have the knowledge, you've passed the test, and then you've got a diploma. And then automatically every year we send out an update so you can... Um, say, hey, here's here's the five new things we've learned in windshield repair this year that we didn't know last year, and and we're gonna move we're gonna move all those technicians forward. Um, so we've taken this platform and we've had it translated into eight languages. So we have the ability to like you know broaden that knowledge, and I mean I'll just give you an example. This we filmed this in December of 2022. It launched, took us almost nine months to finish all the editing. So it launched in like September of 2023. We're, re we're reshooting the, the first update in the next couple of months. In just that time, there are at least six or seven things that have changed in windshield repair that we've learned that have sped up the process and improved quality in 12 months. So this is our answer to... Whether you're a business owner that you have 10 technicians and you're like, how do I make sure they're all trained properly? Or whether you're a business owner who's like, I can't find good people. And when I do, I have to spend three days with them to train them on rock chip repair, or we're too busy with replacements and I don't have time to train, train them on rock chip repair. Or whether it's just for your own internal knowledge, like you're out there hustling, making money. Like you don't always have time to follow all the YouTube channels and see what's new and blah, 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 or make it to all the trade shows. It's a way to create a sustainable platform that moves all of us forward um, as technology improves. Oh, yeah, you said it all. And you don't need, and that's the thing, the, the bad part about doing the YouTube stuff, if they're not suggesting or hawking a Rain-X kit or a nano fluid that you just wick into a flat piece of glass, then it's a YouTube channel that's hawking like bug spray and salt as a, an appropriate crack filler. Mm -hmm. Like these, if they're just coming out of the woodwork sometime, like you fix glass, it's just not that straightforward. So at least with the certification, you only get, you get the online, the continued education uh, with the certification. And then you also get it through a vetted source, which is what I prefer. I think someone asked in the forum the other day, they were like, oh, you know, what's the point? I've been, I've done, you know, thousands, literally thousands of rock chip repairs. You know, what can I learn? And you'd be surprised in my opinion, because I learn something every day. James, Damon. That person, does, that person really does not deserve to say that because I've done <laughs> thousands on top of thousands, on top of thousands of windshield installations. And you know what? I learn stuff every day, every day from everybody that I walk, uh, come across. You know, even if it's a customer asking me a question, it's like, oh shit. <laughs> um, let me think about that and get back to you. Or, you know what I mean? Like, okay, so now I need to learn something. I need to progress. And that old school mentality of 
I did this. My dad did this. My grandfather did this is not a solid platform to build any kind of building on because you have 20 years of experience, one year's worth of knowledge. And the industry changes so fast that that one year you're going to be get, you're going to left behind and forgotten. And the comments that you make are irrelevant. And just like, uh, go ahead, David. I was going to say, I I think what you said, Shiloh, about your continued education and, um, you know, doing something annually and then adding to it, you know, what's changed. I think that speaks a lot for kind of what uh, we talk about a lot recently in the auto glass industry is, um, uh, setting a standard and having everybody on the same page and ways to uh, police it, legislate it, to make sure that people are up to date that they're doing it right. Can you know we talk about continued education, so I think that that can kind of grow roots, you know, into into everything that we do with ADAS and cars change and you know the models change and cameras change and everything advances and you know if you don't if you don't advance with it you're just you're you're just you know like like uh, uh eric from omega said you know it's just technology is going to lead the way and it's going to weed out it's going to weed out the weak ones and only the strong will survive so i think that that process for you speaks a lot and that's that's awesome yeah, yeah you know having having trained a lot of people over the years i will tell you sometimes it can be way easier to train someone who's never done a repair before than it is to train a technician who's done yes affairs because then you're you know you're untraining old habits and um i think you know i want to give a shout out to techs that have done repairs for a long time because i mean i can think of a few people sergio ricardo in brazil and randy mackey here at glassweld who you know they've done repairs like before i was born and i learned a ton from them so i think it's important to acknowledge all of the things that we can learn from those that have been in our industry a long time and appreciate all of the knowledge that they've provided us. And a lot of the stuff that's in our certification program is stuff that's come from those, um, from those people that's now getting passed on. But the things that that do need to be improved or do need to, to be um, updated, we're going to do that. We're going to make sure that's happening and that that, you know, information gets, gets put out there. Um, and, you know, I mean, not every, you know, the, the trade shows are a great way to do that too, right? You come to the shows and you, like James and, and uh, Bradley know, you know, you learn a lot at those shows, but not, you know, not everyone, everyone has that circumstance. And so platforms like this are a way for someone to kind of stay up to date. I'm pumped to learn more about repair. I'm not going to lie. I get, <laughs> I have this giant wing in Bradley to fall under. And <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm kind of pumped to learn how to, Cause it's just going to make me a better technician. It's oh. just like when I learn it, once I learn how to calibrate on a more precision level every time, it made me a better technician. Oh. So the only thing that I feel like I could really use is some basic good old fashioned repair knowledge. Cause I was taught by a guy who said, here's this kit. You turn this screw down. When you see it fill, you pull it off, you put this mylar on, you let it cure, you scrape it flat. And that's as far as I went. And I am embarrassed. But this podcast has really kind of woke me up to like, let's do this glass weld thing. Let's get certified as a repair tech because, you know, I follow the Rolag standard. I've read it. I've followed it. You know, you know, I took the the certification test at the, the is it NWRD? 
Yeah. I did. I did take that test and, you know, passed it and everything, but I don't think that I have the in-depth knowledge. I have some regurgitation of what people have told me. I would really like to learn how to be better at repairs. Make it happen. That's easy. I'm going to. I'm going today to. Is, today is the first day of the rest of your life, James. Today is a new day. A new day for the, well, for the, we're coming up on about it now. We've had Shiloh uh, in the hot seat for about an hour and 20. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up. Um, <laughs> so I want to, so Glassweld has been around for roughly 38 years. Is that right, Shiloh? 40 years, 40, 40 years last year. So we're going on 41 this year. Yeah. So you're going to, uh, what do you want Glassweld to be known for in another 40 years? I think just leading in innovation, you know, making things easier and faster. Um, I think we've done a pretty good job of that over the last 30 or 40 years. I think in the last 10 or 10 or 15 years, we've done a better job of getting that information out. Um, and so now for the next 40 years, it's there's a lot to me, it's a super exciting time because there's so there are more challenges for our industry now and in the next 10 years than we've probably had in the past 40 when it comes to the age of technology and all that. So that's a huge challenge and it gets me excited. So if we can be the leaders through that process and just kind of pushing the industry forward, even if we're not the only ones doing it, um, then then that would be, that would make me extremely happy. And I was, I was, I, I had it in my mind that I was going to ask you about those changes, but we need to have you back on and we need to have Derek on too, because he dodged a bullet. I've got some tough ones for Derek too, because he's got Derek Jones is your general manager. He handles he handles sales and like everything else. So yeah, but yeah. yeah so, I know he would love to join you guys. And Derek's a Derek's a great one to ask like business questions and sales and marketing questions too too. So, so I know he would love it. Uh, we'll get it. We'll if you agree to come back, we'll we'll talk about some of the challenges and changes. And um, James, you got anything? No, I'm good. Okay. Um, so I want to leave you with, give us your favorite quote from anyone alive, dead, real, or fake. There was a, there was a couple here. I, I, I almost quoted my favorite scripture because there's a scripture that I use every day that like helps me kind of get through things. It talks about like not, not taking each day's, take each day as it comes, basically. I think it's Matthew 6, 34. So that's a great one. Uh -huh. um, but when it comes to business... Um, I was, I've been a big Simon Sinek fan. He was like a motivational speaker. And, uh, one of his quotes is probably my favorite. He says, if the challenge we face doesn't scare us, then it's probably not important. So I try to remember that each day to just try to challenge myself and do stuff that's outside my comfort zone, push us outside of our comfort zone. Um, because it's, that's probably the stuff worth doing. Thank you. That is solid. Man, that was a great quote. Say it one more time. People in the back. If the challenge we face doesn't scare us, then it's probably not that important. I dig it. Shiloh, thanks for coming on. This is your host, Brad, the Glass Monkey, ate a lot. Appreciate you guys. Thanks, guys. Peace.